Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We had a wild, wild weekend of playoff baseball. Two big comebacks from the Diamondbacks against the Phillies, followed by Zach Wheeler shutting them down in Game 5 to send the series back to Philadelphia with a lead. And, of course, the Astros and Rangers. Lots and lots of drama, both uh, on the field and with some, uh, well, well, technically on the field, but not exactly uh, within the bounds of gameplay type of drama in Game 5, followed by uh, a dramatic win by the Rangers in Game 6 to set up Game 7, the two best words in sports. To break it all down, I am joined by my friend and colleague Jeff Ponce. Jeff, I have to ask, so much happened this weekend in the ALCS and NLCS. What was your biggest takeaway from the weekend? Yeah, I just think it's uh, how quickly momentum can swing in these series. Uh, you know, you look at what happened with the Diamondbacks. They seem like their backs were up against the wall. Uh, no pun intended there. And, you know, come out, win a couple of games, of course, lose game five. Um, but we saw the momentum shift multiple times within a few games stretch. And I think it happened as well in the ALCS when we look at the Astros obviously storming back after falling behind 2-0, winning three consecutively. And then we saw what potentially could be another momentum shift last night as we now head, head into game seven. So I think it's just it's so quickly how uh, how quickly the momentum in these series can really shift. Um, and I think that's something that's unique to, to baseball and probably hockey. I don't think you see those momentum shifts as greatly in like basketball and football. We're talking about one game. So a little different. Yeah, there's no question about it. I, I think the biggest thing for me, and, and really there's lots of storylines that uh, I definitely want to get into, but. I think the biggest thing for me that stands out is kind of everything that unfolded in that game five between the Astros and Rangers, you know, series tied two two, huge in-state rivalry, lots of emotions going both ways, a lot of history between these two teams, crowds into it. And everything that unfolded was um, just so wild, but in, a, in an entertaining way. And I think that there was a lot of, gnashing about x y and z but i actually thought it was great theater and great drama and and i think sometimes in baseball what happens is on the one hand people say well we want to see more emotion we want to see more personality and then when they see it on the field they kind of complain about it and yell at the players about it so i i think it's a little bit people wanting to have it both ways i, I want to break that whole sequence of events down with you because i just thought it was just such great theater and again you know in some ways could have been a turning point in the series, but the way the Rangers responded, I think, spoke a lot to their composure and their ability to play under pressure. So first and foremost, the Adolis Garcia home run off Justin Verlander. First of all, huge moment there by a great player. Again, Martin Maldonado stood up on the outer half of the plate. Justin Verlander missed his spot. Fastball ran back over the plate. Adolis Garcia came up with a huge three-run homer. I didn't have an issue with his celebration. Um, again, it's a huge home run and a big moment. I, again, could you see maybe where some people might have taken issue with it? Again, I'm open to different opinions. Just me personally, I, I didn't take issue with it. There's some that I think are ridiculous. Like, you know, last year, Josh Naylor rocking the baby against Garrett Cole when you're down. It was a solo home run and you're still losing in the fourth inning. It's a little bit like get over yourself. But this one, yeah, big moment, big home run for the lead. Series is tied. I, I had no issue with that celebration. Did you? No. And I, I tend to, to not have major issues with celebrations generally. 
Uh, I think your your point on Naylor, uh, though it was very fun in the moment, uh, is probably well taken, uh, just in terms of when's appropriate to maybe do that. I also think, like, you hit a ball that hard in that big of a moment off a player like that. It's a huge moment for that franchise. It's a huge moment, you know, when we look at sort of the – I think we see this in sports, especially when we have – um, geographically close teams, sometimes they're within the same state, the same region of the country, uh, and they're division rivals, and that festers throughout a season. There's a lot of emotion that's additional on there anyway. Yeah. What so you again, do when you walk directly out of the box, I don't really have an issue with. You know, he, he admired it a little bit. It was a big moment. You know, he's looking at his his bench. He's getting his guys pumped up. I, I I'm fine with that. You know, you don't like it. It's one of those things. I think it's the old cliche. Don't give up a home run, you know. But the thing is, they turned it around. You know, they had their battle. Obviously, we're going to get into the Abreu stuff too. But it, it was interesting how it played out. But I thought it was, um, as you said, great theater. I think that's probably the best way that you can describe it. And for us, you don't have a, a true rooting interest in this, whether you're a fan, reporter, whatever. It is. It's what it is. We're there to watch entertainment. And it was very entertaining. So, again, I get his celebration in the moment, huge home run. I get it. I also get maybe some members of the Astros not being happy with it. Again, you've got a lot of emotion on the field. Testosterone's flowing. Tempers are flaring. It's a big moment, big home run. Again, I was okay with the celebration, but I also can see where maybe some members of the Astros maybe didn't like it. And again, you know, in terms of what that translated into next time up, Brian and Brayu hitting Adolis Garcia with a 99 mile hour fastball. And let's be clear, it was absolutely intentional. There's no question about that. Look at where Martin Maldonado's set up. He's set up right down the middle. He knows what's about to happen. He's not calling a fastball down the middle against Adolis Garcia, I promise. Um, and I, I understand why Adolis Garcia took exception to it. Again, getting hit, period, is infuriating, but especially 99 up and in. All it takes is if that pitcher loses it a little bit, I mean, you're talking about potentially messing with the guy's career. I mean, you yeah. can really, really do some damage. So again, I get the celebration. I get why some members of the Astros maybe took exception to it. And I certainly get why Adolis Garcia was upset getting plunked by 99 up and in. Cause again, all it takes is that pitcher misses up by an inch and you're potentially messing with someone's career. So I get every step of it, why everyone felt the way they did. I didn't think any of it was completely out of bounds or, oh, you shouldn't have felt X, Y, or Z way. I see the perspective and the way it all unfolded really dramatic. Now, look, no one wants to see brawls and, and luckily nothing bad happened worth punches thrown or multiple scuffles breaking out. That's not something anyone wants to see. But I, again, I understand why everyone felt the way they did throughout that sequence of events and don't think any of it was unjustified or um again it's just you know brian Bray throwing 99 up and in that's going to tick someone off and and i also do think given the situation the moment in the game putting a guy on probably isn't the best call again i'm never going to endorse throwing at somebody i'm just going to say i understand why maybe the astros took exception to it even though i had no problem with adolis garcia's celebration and i certainly had no problem with him being justifiably upset to get plunked by 99 up and in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's one thing if it's, you know, if it's a slider off, off your backside or something, right? Like that's one thing, uh, still not all that justifiable, but yeah, when you're talking about a 99 mile per hour fastball, um, that's in a certain location. Um, yeah, there's, there's major damage that could be done with a pitch like that. It's just, yeah. it's nonsense. 
So, and then of course it all ends with Jose Altuve hitting a, a go ahead home run in the ninth inning. It was really just an, another chapter and, and an incredible career for Jose Altuve. I, I want to go back to the batter before though, with Jose Leclerc throwing a three, two change up to Jonathan Singleton. When he did that, that was one of those things that made me go, why are you throwing a change up there? Um, this is, this is a hitter who you have the stuff to blow away three, two going off speed. It just didn't make sense, especially knowing who was coming up top of the order and the Astros made them pay again. He threw another change of to Jose Altuve, which Altuve deposited to the left field stands. I think there's an interesting discussion here to be had Jeff about where Jose Altuve stands in Astros franchise history. Um, after he hit the home run, I tweeted out uh, our story by John Manuel back when Jose Altuve was named our 2017 major league player of the year just about his origin story, how he signed, and, and just how incredible his whole entire career arc has been. You know, I said one of the best players in Astros franchise history because you have Hall of Famers. You have Jeff Bagwell. You have Craig Biggio. I mean, truly incredible players who were the best in their time. I think Altuve is certainly one of the best. A few people, you know, came back and said, I think he is the best. Where do you stand on that? You know, Jose Altuve being one of the best in players in Astros franchise history versus the singular best. Um, yeah, I think at this point you can probably say he's the singular best player. Um, Jeff Bagwell was was excellent. I don't think Jeff Bagwell ever had the big moments that Altuve had. Truly, I mean, and, and Bagwell was obviously a good hitter for a long time. Was a good lineup. Um, you know, you got Craig Biggio, another Hall of Famer. Um, but was, you know, more of a compiler, a long-term guy, uh, one of the greatest sort of utility players of all time, frankly, um, and just an, an absolute gamer. And probably, you know, Nolan Ryan, I would say, in terms of um, what he meant to that franchise, like when I was younger and um, the visibility there, you had the years with like Clemens and Pettit. Um, I do think he is. I think I think he's the guy because this is this is the height of the Astros organization. I don't think there's any debate about that. He has been the constant and and one of the leaders uh, on this team throughout the run. Now, I think that a couple more years and some more success potentially without Altuve, Jordan Alvarez is is probably creeping up on his heels. Um, but I think now in terms of like who is the guy that really signifies the organization, um, for me, it's, it's Altuve. It's that sort of like Brady with the Patriots or, you know, Bird with the Celtics, of course the Celtics are a million of them, but yeah, I think he fits into that. He's like their all-time franchise guy. And I think there's just other components of it too, um, even if you go beyond the numbers. But his playoff performance all time means that he might be a top five or six in this format, the longer playoffs all time. It's like him, Bernie Williams, you know, guys like that. Yeah, I, again, I think he's been undoubtedly one of the best players of – the current generation, one of the best infielders for sure, and one of the best postseason performers. It's hard for me to say right now that he's the best when Craig Biggio had 3,000 hits, when Jeff Bagwell was, you know, one of the guys who, I mean, close to 450 homers, 2,000 hits, um, stole a decent amount of bases, especially earlier in his career. I think these are just such elite players who had such great careers. I think there's a chance that Jose Altuve, when his career is all said and done, will have passed them. Um, and he's certainly in their tier right now. I just hesitate to state definitively he is the one, the singular. And again, it's nothing about him. It's just about what Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell were able to do in their careers as well. 
Um, but if you want to fold in Jose Altuve's playoff performance, that certainly elevates the argument. I mean, he's been yeah, I think, exceptional I think in the playoffs to. for oh, – you absolutely have to. I mean, he's been exceptional in the playoffs for years and years and years and years. It's not a one-time thing here. I mean, he's got over 100 playoff games under his belt. So, um, yeah, I, if someone wants to say that he's the singular number one, I'm not going to pound the table and argue and say you're insane. I probably wouldn't quite go there yet, but he's certainly – in the group and um it's really a, a testament to him and the crew he's put together so that's all game five jeff we saw yeah. game six yesterday and again the rangers i mean let's let's take a step back that was a back-breaking loss at home and not just a back-breaking loss a back-breaking series of losses at home you go up 2-0 into your house and you drop all three games not every team is going to respond great from that, especially the way game five ended. And again, this is where it goes back to having steady leadership, having veteran players, you know, having just the right mentality to go out there and come back the way they did. I mean, this was a, a drag it out back and forth game and the Rangers had the finishing blow with who else? Adolis Garcia. I mean, he's 0 for 4 with four strikeouts at that point. That highly anticipated, well, I shouldn't say highly anticipated, the highly uh, exciting rematch with the Brian Abreu uh, comes up and he loses it, you know, strikes out. And for him to come up and hit a grand slam, put the game away in the ninth inning, again, showed a lot of resilience and fortitude and, and mental strength. And I think that's something we've seen from this Rangers team over and over and over again, whether it's the way they blew the division at the end of the year, came right back out and swept their way through the early rounds of the playoffs whether it's the way they've bounced back from individual games. Um, this is a really talented team that has a really, really, really good presence and composure about them. And their manager is a big part of that. So um, between Nate Uvalde giving them the six and the third they needed, and yes, successfully navigating a third time through an order, it is possible, Twitter. Um, I just thought all around, it was a really, really good bounce back game for the Rangers. And it's going to set up a, a really, really exciting game seven tonight. Max Scherzer on the mound, Christian Javier. Um, this is this is what baseball is all about, and I'm really excited to see it. Jeff, any big takeaways for you from game six? Um, yeah, I think um, we saw <laughs> we certainly saw a big momentum shift late in that game. It was certainly closer than we thought it was going to be. Uh, or, um, excuse me, than the final score indicates. You know, it, it, it's tough to take a ton away from one game when we've seen what the full series is. Um, but, you know, starting pitching obviously is uh, is a huge, you know, piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, I thought Valdez at times looked a little shaky over those five innings. Um, he's a little bit more of an emotional guy than, than Eovaldi is. And really outside of um, that first inning where Yavaldi got into some trouble and, you know, Jordan Alvarez is, is able to knock in the Astros first run and take that, that early lead um, with a nice piece of hitting on a, you know, a 92 mile per hour cutter that was up and in. Um, I really felt like, you know, Eovaldi in the end was sort of the difference in that game. Um, you know, it goes, goes a little bit longer, obviously um, performed really well. I thought got out of some big spots, uh, you know, against that lineup, you know, there's guys besides Alvarez who are really dangerous as well. Um, and I just thought the way the rain, the Rangers handled um, Alvarez yesterday, uh, for the most part, was uh, probably a pretty good roadmap to 
try to pursue going forward despite despite there being uh <laughs> some rbis and some hits um they didn't have quite the damage that i think could have maybe been done but that might have just been luck too yeah I, I think one of the things that really jumped out to me was you know that eighth inning right i mean the astros are are coming back it's a three two ball game in some ways they've got a little bit of momentum you know mauricio dubon had a really good at bat to, to get that sack fly and cut the deficit to three to two and the way the Rangers came back uh, there in the top of the eighth, um, especially, you know, Mitch, Gar- you know, first and foremost, just Evan Carter, you know, beating out that infield single, showing the speed, then stealing second base and Mitch Garver coming up with a big, big RBI double there. I mean, that insurance run is just so, so, so huge. And again, Jose Leclerc comes right back out after blowing game six. Um, it was notable that, that, the Rangers did not trust Aroldis Chapman in this spot. Now they did eventually get him warmed up, but you know, going right back to Jose Leclerc, and you know, he immediately comes in, he walked Kyle Tucker. I mean, bases loaded, four-two game. He's fresh off of blowing a, a big, big, big advantage that the Rangers potentially could have had going into the series, going into this game. And he comes right back out, gets a weak lineup from Dubon. And again, facing Jonathan Singleton, you know, a guy who he did not make a good pitch to in game five, comes right back again, another full count, 3-2, you know, 97 fouled away, 97 fouls away, 92 with the cutter up top. It was good to see him make the adjustment say, we're not messing around with my fourth best pitch, a change up to Jonathan Singleton. Bring the fire. This is a guy that I can blow away. And then he did. He attacked him. Again, those three fastballs, they weren't exactly located on the edges of the plate. You know, I mean, the the first one he threw was pretty much right down the middle, but Singleton couldn't catch up to it. The next one, top of the zone, 98. Singleton could not catch up to it, even though it's over the middle of the plate in the strike zone. And that cutter, again, um, you know, nicked the top of the zone. I just liked seeing Jose Leclerc come back out and, and go to his power stuff there against the same hitter in a, in a different but similar type of situation. Um, and then the Rangers piling on like they did. Adolis Garcia coming back when just hitting that monster grand slam. He really slammed the door. Again, this is a team that bounces back really, really well. That's important. Um, I'm really looking forward to game seven. Jeff, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to look ahead to game seven, and then we're going to break down everything that took place in the Phillies D-back series, which had a lot of wild moments itself. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce. Jeff, we looked back at everything that took place in the Rangers-Astros series, games five and six. Now looking ahead to game seven, Max Scherzer versus Christian Javier. Winner goes to the World Series. Loser goes home. Max Scherzer made his first start in five weeks, and game three was not sharp. The Astros ended up winning that game. And Christian Javier, as we've talked about, has been very good this postseason after a shaky regular season. I think this is going to be a heck of a matchup between, again, one of the best pitchers of our era to see how much he can round into form after a shaky game three start against a guy who started only the second no-hitter in World Series history last year and has pitched really well this postseason. What are some of the key things you're looking for as Game 7 gets going tonight in Houston? Sure. Um, I think a big part of it for the Rangers, and I know this narrative has kind of been beaten to death, but um, you know, really getting Marcus Simeon and um, Corey Seager going, you know, big performances by them in a Game 7 would be huge. Um, you know, I also think that... Uh, you know, what they get out of Scherzer is going to be a a, a, a big part of it. Um, the bullpen has pitched pretty well. Spare, you know, obviously a bad moment there with the clerk, as you've referenced previously. But, you know, when I look at it, you really need to get, I think, five innings out of Scherzer tonight. We'll see. It's a game seven, so anything's on the table. Um, but just looking at their pitching depth and the advantage that they've had in the games that they've won, I think that's been a big difference. Um, you know, Javier, consistent playoff performer. I think another big part of it is, you know, how do they navigate the lineup or how do they navigate uh, Jordan Alvarez? Um, he's such a big difference maker. And, you know, um, Abreu has been hitting behind him throughout the playoffs, uh, much to my surprise, if you listen to our initial preview podcast. Um, but he has. I mean, for the most part, he's performed. And, you know, if, if you know, he's able to do damage because they're putting on uh, Abreu, excuse me, they're putting on Alvarez before him. Um, I think that's a big part of that middle of that lineup is just really what sort of stirs the drink uh, when it comes to this, this series. And I think the Astros, so um, all eyes are kind of on, you know, how they handle Alvarez and uh, you know, what they get out of their starter pitching, starting pitching tonight. And like I said, if they can get a bonus and get, you know, uh, inspired performances from two of their bigger stars, I think the Rangers might be in a good position. Yeah, for me, the biggest thing I'm watching is Max Scherzer and how much length he can give the Rangers just because 
we know this bullpen uh, certainly lacks reliable options. And, you know, Josh Spores and Jose Leclerc are the two guys you really can trust in this bullpen right now. It's, it's tough to fully trust Aroldis Chapman right now with how wild he's been. And Spores and Leclerc have been used a lot this series. They both appeared in four of the six games. And, yes, there's the component of you know, overexposure, but I think more than that, it's just fatigue. I mean, these guys have been used a lot, and Leclerc's been used, you know, brought in to, to potentially pitch multiple innings. He ended up not needing to pitch multiple innings yesterday, which is huge. But, um, again, there's been a pretty heavy workload on Spores and Leclerc. So, you know, if Max Scherzer is able to give them five, six even, and just – you know, maybe give them enough length where if the lead is right, maybe they don't have to use these guys. Um, that would be beneficial. Whereas if it's another outing where he's just not sharp, he struggles, he only will give them four, you know, the Rangers don't have five great options in that bullpen to try and finish out that game. And maybe they do have to turn to one or both those guys again, especially if it's close. Again, I think it just would help the Rangers immensely if Max Scherzer is able to, give them six again even if it's not vintage dominant max scherzer even if it's six inning three runs just something competitive with a little bit of length that will go a long way to toward helping the rangers obviously if it's vintage max scherzer and he's able to just shut him down obviously the rangers would certainly take that but um that's just the main thing i'm watching is is spores and leclerc pitching four times in these six games already you know, what their fatigue level is going to be. And, and if there's a way to minimize their usage, potentially a Scherzer giving them some innings. And obviously if the offense is able to jump early and get a big enough lead where you don't have to use your highest leverage guys, that certainly would be a positive outcome. Jeff crunch time. Who you got? Ooh. Oh man. <laughs> I got, I got baseball tonight, but um, you know, I'm going to go with the Astros. I'm not, I'm not going to bet against the team that's been there before, had all the experience. Um, so I'm going to go with a low-key conservative bet here. Uh, though I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to see it go either way. i got friends with both organizations, and uh, they're both a lot of fun. I think uh, you could even argue that maybe the, uh, maybe the World Series champion might be decided tonight. Yeah, look, I picked the Rangers at the start of the postseason. I can't jump off that now, so I'm going with the Rangers. But again, if the Astros win, it would not be an upset or a shock in any way. Again, they've got a really good pitcher going tonight with Christian Javier. Uh, this team has been in four of the last six World Series. They're the defending champions. They're loaded top to bottom. It's going to be a really, really good baseball game, and I, I think one that we will all be watching, especially if it can match the drama of the last two games. All right, Jeff, moving over into the other series, the NLCS between the Phillies and Diamondbacks. It's funny saying it's the quote-unquote other series because it's been pretty darn exciting as well. Uh, Phillies roll into Arizona with a 2-0 series lead. The D-backs pull off back-to-back comeback victories off of Craig Kimbrell and the Phillies bullpen. Uh, unfortunately, it's been a familiar sight for Craig Kimbrell in the postseason. Uh, just has a, a long history of not finishing the job and, and big, 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 big moments. Um, but then Zach Wheeler coming back in game five and, and really just doing everything the Phillies need him to do from both a length perspective as well as a sheer dominance perspective. The Phillies head back to Citizens Bank Park. Game six is tonight with a 3-2 series lead. Before we dive into game six, uh, what were your just biggest thoughts and takeaways from everything that transpired in those three games in Arizona? Um, yeah, I think, you know, we had expected the dime, the, the diamondbacks to win at least one game. Uh, I think we thought the series would be wrapped up by now. So, 
just you know the the fight in this this Diamondbacks team. Um, it's a really good, young, energetic uh, team that you know has some you know has some guys that uh, I think are maybe a little underrated in terms of veteran presence as well, and like guys like Ketel Marte and others. Um, but I you know I think we've seen a lot of these players come of age. Gabriel Moreno um, has had a really good playoffs for them. So just overall, I've I've been impressed by the performance of the Diamondbacks and. Um, you know, I, I, by, by no means are they out of it at all. You know, they're down three to two going into Philly. It's a tough place to win uh, two consecutive games. So the odds are against them. But I would say as well, this is maybe one of those those young sort of upstart kind of teams where the moment isn't going to matter for them. It's not it's not going to weigh on them as much. We'll see. We'll see. how. I think that's the big narrative for me kind of going into these the, tonight and then, you know, potentially a game seven is, you know, how do they deal with a big moment and uh, how do they deal with all the crowd noise and everything else? And sometimes I think with these these young teams, it can work in their favor, you know, a la 20, uh, 2003, you know, uh, Florida Marlins or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, the D-backs really did a, a good job of just showing a, a level of resilience that I was really impressive not just on the offensive side, but on the pitching side, um, you know, Brandon fought was really pitching as well as he's pitched in the major leagues in game three. And uh, Tori Lavello, Tori Lavello made the decision to pull him. And in that moment, I, you know, posted a little bit about, you know, what you and I had talked about and I engaged with some fans about just some philosophical differences about whether or not it's the right move. And give the D-backs bullpen credit. I mean, they went in and, and held it down and that was on, ahead of what was going to be a bullpen day in game four, which, you know, was another just challenge for them, you know, knowing that they're going to have to soak up some more innings than maybe you would have necessarily assumed in game three, knowing you're going to have a full on bullpen game in game four. It's a tough ask. And the D backs, they answered the bell, their bullpen did the job. You know, Andrew Salfrank came in and, and walked a pair and allowed a run that wasn't great, but you know, Thompson, Ginkle and Seawald closed it out. And, uh, you know, the rest of the way in terms of just holding down the Phillies offense, a really good Phillies offense, as we've discussed. And then again, Joe Mantiply leads a bullpen game in game four, and they're able to hold the Phillies down just enough again. I mean, again, they gave up five runs. It's not like it was a dominant effort, but again, it, it they got the job done. And as much as, you know, Kyle Nelson and Miguel Castro, again, Salford hasn't pitched well. You know, Ryan Thompson was just okay. It wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't sharp, but they got the win. And I think that's just really, really impressive. It's very, very hard to navigate bullpen games successfully. Um, you know, the D-backs, I think, especially coming off of needing to work in game three, maybe more than you would have thought given the way Fott was pitching. Again, just tip of the cap to them. And, and of course, this ability to come back again and again and again. I really thought the, you know, no matter what happens, the D-backs have, have really impressed throughout this postseason, the way they came back against the Brewers, the way they manhandled the Dodgers, the way they've fought back against the Phillies. Um, it, it's just been really impressive. And I think bodes really, really well for their future, whatever happens tonight or tomorrow in Philly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm really excited for, for these, uh, these couple of games as I think they could be, uh, some real fireworks between the two series this uh, this evening, and uh, it will be it will just be exciting to see you know how ramped up Philly is uh, coming back here with a chance to to close it out. I'm sure that, that crowd will be uh, you know only mildly excited. 
Yeah, I, I will say, you know, the other big factor here, though, is the way Zach Wheeler came out and, and did what aces do in game five. Um, again, coming off back-to-back blown leads, um, you know, bullpen melting down. Again, this is this is what you need your ace to do. You need him to go out there. The, the Phillies bullpen was exhausted. I mean, you could see it even in game four. And they needed Zach Wheeler to go out and not just dominate for five innings, but they needed length out of him. They needed seven minimum with the state of their bullpen. And he gave it to them. He was exceptional start to finish. And again, this is what aces do. And, and you know, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, Jeff, but, you know, you and I talked about it, you know, understanding context and, and deciding whether or not to let pitchers go that third time through. It's not just about the macro level. Well, here's the all-time numbers. You have to look at what is this pitcher doing? What does this pitcher do historically? What's the state of the bullpen? What kind of swings are they getting off of them? All of it matters. You have to manage to the context of the moment in real time. And, and I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, someone tweeted at me after Zach Gallon got hit. Oh, hey, there you go. Third time through the order. Zach Gallon, you know, without mentioning the fact that Zach Wheeler just navigated it successfully and Nate Uvalde navigated successfully the next night. Again, it's about how's the pitcher pitching. It's not just this automatic, oh, third time through, get him out of there. No, no one's debating there's a third time through the order penalty. Yeah. Of course there is. No one's arguing that. What it is is you have that macro information, but you also have to take into account the micro. What does this pitcher do historically third time through the order? What is he doing this year third time through the order? What is the state of your bullpen? What is the state of your pitcher's current stuff and command? All these things have to play into account. And at the end of the day, we can talk also as much as we want about strategy and philosophy and you know manager moves in front offices. It comes down to players to perform. And Zach Wheeler and Nate Yavaldi needed to give their teams length. They needed to get through an order a third time. I mean, heck, Yavaldi faced Jose Altuve a fourth time. And they did it. And, and it comes down to great players performing at their best above all else. And they did that. And, and that's, anyway, just kind of a long way of saying no one is suggesting the third time through the order penalty doesn't exist. Of course it exists. But you have to take that macro level information based on history. And you also have to take into account the micro information about what is happening right now with this pitcher in this moment. And, and what does this pitcher do this year? And the, you know, the Phillies and Rangers did that successfully. And they're reaping the rewards of it. And again, two, two great pitchers perform big and big moments. That's what they're paid to do. And that's what they're capable of. And I think I think more than anything else, it, it comes down to who you feel in that moment when you get to the top of the order for the third time, whether it's your starter, whether it's a reliever that you have available, is going to give you the best chance of getting the best hitters in the opposing lineup out. And I think that's something that kind of gets missed. If you say third time through the order, you're also you're seeing the top three hitters, like you're seeing the top hitters in the lineup. Um, they're going to do more damage. They're the top hitters in the lineup for a reason. So. You know, it depends on how the guy is pitching. Just like, you know, if tonight, if Max Scherzer is, is shoving through four innings and he's got zeros out there and Christian Javier gives up six runs in the, in the third inning, he's going to get yanked. Like there's there's times that, you know, you're still, you manage the game. And I, I, I think it's it, it, we get so caught up in that just like particular like third time through the order. It comes down to how the guy's pitching, the options you have available, what your bullpen looks like, how rested they are, and who's coming up and how they match up against them.
Because there are times where it's absolutely prudent to pull your starter after five and a third. You know, even if he's if even if he is pitching well, you know, you see things waning. He had trouble in the previous at bat. Location's kind of missing on the fastball. Okay, it's there. I think the big issue is when we're talking about guys where everything is clicking and they get pulled. Those are the issues that I think generally we hear, you know, um, get more contentious online or the conversation, um, you know, is, is a little more pointed. Again, it's not a controversial take. If a no. player is playing well, let them continue to play well. And you have to assess what's happening in real time. It's very weird to me that that's become a controversial take when it's just the facts of life beyond baseball. You have to assess things in real time as they happen and mm -hmm. adapt and adjust while keeping historical information in the back of your mind. Ultimately, it's what's happening in front of you in real time is what's going to be the ultimate determinant of, of the best judgment you can make. But anyway... That all said, we've got two great games tonight. Game seven, Astros Rangers. Game six, Phillies have Aaron Nola going on the mound. D-backs have Merrill Kelly going on the mound. Jeff, I asked you what your prediction was for Rangers-Astros. We'll do it here as well. What's your prediction for Phillies D-backs? Um, I'm gonna go, you know, I'm going, I'm going front runner today, and uh I'm picking Philly to close it out here in game six uh, will be a great battle, but um, I, I, I think I'm, uh, I, I tend to like Philly in games where they can roll one of their big starters. Wheeler the other night was all over Philly. Nola tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to gamble on Nola though. Merrill Kelly, obviously, uh, you know, um, pretty good. You know, not, a, not a bad starter has performed well this season. Uh, pitch well for them in some big moments. Um, we'll see, though. We'll see how it all plays out. But anytime Philly has Nola or Wheeler going, I tend to like them in this series. Yeah, um, it's just really, really, really hard to pick against the Phillies at home in Citizens Bank Park. They're undefeated at home in the postseason this year. They have the highest winning percentage of any team at home since Citizens Bank opened in the postseason. And... You know, again, I, I thought that, you know, Rob Thompson had the quote earlier in the year about how an opposing manager told him that, you know, playing in Philadelphia was four hours of hell. You know, they just couldn't concentrate. They couldn't, they couldn't focus. I mean, that's, it's the crowd gets you, the atmosphere gets you and it's, it's hard to maintain composure. So again, I'm just not going to pick against the Phillies in the Citizens Bank Park, especially when Aaron Nola is pitching, especially the way Aaron Nola has been pitching. Um, it's just hard to pick against them. So we will see what happens, and we will be back to wrap it all up, potentially tomorrow. We'll certainly be back to wrap up Astros Rangers. We'll see if we'll be back to wrap up Phillies Diamondbacks. Uh, but we've got another great day of baseball ahead. Jeff, thank you for joining me to break it all down. No problem, Kyle. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. Mm -hmm.